to seek his holy face above the world's acclaim. We need the Lord. We need his majesty to lend us dignity and make us worthy of his name. We need to see him there everywhere we turn. We need to look for him and how we need to learn how we need to dignity in ordinary daily things. We need the Lord. We need to cling to him when we have reached the end of all our earthly hopes and dreams. And in the desert of our Thank you so much, Melody. It's always a pleasure to hear you sing. I invite you to open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It's always a privilege to supply the pulpit when pastor is away. He will be back early in the week and take up his work 
but he has been resting this week. I want to read, beginning at verse 1, just a few short verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and I'm reading from the New International Version. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Now let me say, that's the message for tonight. And it's an extremely important message for every Christian. But the message this morning, and we're picking up at verse 2, Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said this before, that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. And we'll end our reading there. Some time ago, there was a Peanuts cartoon that uh, had Lucy asking Charlie Brown, have you ever known anybody who was truly happy? And before she finished her sentence, Snoopy came running through the the frames of the cartoon and he was dancing and singing and and hopping all over the place for two more cartoon blocks. And at the end, in the fourth block, Lucy finished her sentence. Have you ever known anybody who was truly happy and still in their right mind? (laughs) Some years back, the editors of Psychology Today uh, made a survey, and they questioned 52,000 subscribers in an effort to determine what makes people really happy. The response was somewhat confusing. And one subscriber wrote and asked to see the results of the survey. And he wrote this, I think I am happy, but would you please verify it? (laughs) How do we react in trouble? Rose and I, as most of you know, were in Indiana. And we got to Owensburg, Kentucky, Owensboro, Kentucky, Uh, for a 9.30 flight on Thursday morning. We didn't leave until 5.30 in the afternoon. (laughs) And I said to her, guess what I'm preaching on on Sunday? (laughs) You know, you can tell a great deal about people as you understand what makes them happy and what upsets them. Today, I want you to look with me at the life of the Apostle Paul in this passage and see what made him happy and what made him upset. Would you look at verse 4? He said, I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. Was he in his right mind when he said that? I am greatly encouraged in all of our troubles. 
Yes, he was in his right mind. He was fully responsible for his actions. He was reacting as a mature believer in the Lord and in his ability to care for him. How can I be a witness for Jesus in my struggles, and all of us have them? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you read in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we may comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. That is the reaction of a very mature Christian. He was troubled, and yet he said, I am filled with comfort. In fact, the King James Bible says, I am exceeding joyful, even in his struggles. I want you to think about this for a few moments. And first, I want to talk about the source of comfort. And the source of comfort you have in verse 6, where it says, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us, but God. In one of the other translations, it said, Nevertheless, he that comforteth the lowly, even God, comforted us. Now, there may be many reasons for comfort, but there is only one source of comfort, and that source is God himself. Chapter 1, verse 3, he is called the God of all comfort. Now, I know after so many years of ministry that there are people who run from friend to friend, from doctor to doctor, from counselor to counselor, from group to group, and even from church to church and from city to city. And they are trying to find satisfaction. They're trying to find release from guilt. They're trying to find freedom from fear. They're trying to find something that will settle them down. And it will never come until they admit that the source of their problem is to trust in God, who is the God of all comfort. They never admit that the basic longing of the human heart is for a God in whom they can trust. In Psalm 121, the psalmist cried, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come? And then he answers, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. In Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. In Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 50, excuse me, Psalm 40, verse 2, he brought me up also out of a horrible pit, and he has put a new song in my mouth. And you go to Psalm 62, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. And in, eternal, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, the eternal God is my refuge 
and underneath are his everlasting arms. You see, the greatest need of the human heart is to have ground to stand upon. And the only sure foundation is the incorruptible God who never changes. And we must put our confidence in him. We need a place to belong. We need ground to stand upon. We need to know for certain that we belong. That the God who made us, the God in whom the course of history rests, is the only final and secure source of comfort. I like the little poem. It said, countless worlds are circling through boundless realms of space, and the God whose hand has made them keeps each orb in its true place. All revolves in perfect order. Harmony complete we see, yet the God whose will they follow is the God who plans for me. Do you believe that this morning? I do. All right, the source of comfort then is God. Now, there are several reasons for comfort. Number one, the first reason is the coming of Titus in Paul's situation. You see, God uses people. God is the source, but he uses people and events to bring comfort to us. And the first event that brought comfort to him was the coming of Titus. And look at verse 6 again. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now, if you go back farther in the book in chapter 2, verse 13, you read there that Paul said, I had no peace in mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. He was searching for his partner in ministry, who was this young man, Titus. Apparently, he thought Titus may have been in Macedonia. Why did Paul feel so greatly the need for Titus? Was it loneliness that drove him? No, you know that Paul had God and he walked with God. There's no question about that. But to be in good mental health, a believer needs fellowship. While Rose and I were in Indiana, we passed by the cornfields, and being an old farmer at heart, I was totally amazed because the corn was seven feet tall. I asked her to get out of the car so she could take a, I could take a picture of her beside that tall cornfield. And it was, it was a wonderful crop. They've had a lot of rain. But you know, if you take that healthy crop, that healthy stalk of corn, and plant it alone in the middle of a 40-acre field, it will die. I've been on the farm, and I know that. The corn needs fellowship if it's going to develop in a healthy way. And that's the very same thing that happens for a Christian. And that's why we are told in Hebrews chapter 10:25 do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is but encourage one another and so much more as you see the day 
the day of the coming of the Lord approaching. Even such a mighty apostle as Paul needed fellowship. And you'll find that most of the letters that he wrote, he included several men in, in, in the writing of the letter because he was not a loner. He knew that he needed fellowship with other people. And so do we if we're going to be healthy Christians. So was it loneliness that bothered him or was it worry? Well, we know he was worried about the condition of the Corinthian church. He loved them and he wanted them to walk with God. You remember it was John the Beloved who said, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. And Paul felt exactly the same way. He was worried about the condition of the Corinthian church. He was worried about Titus. Are you surprised that Paul would admit such a thing? Such a seasoned saint as he would admit that he was troubled about such things? You know, I have more respect for a person who admits his weakness than tries to hide it. In the first church that I served after graduation from Bible college, there were two brothers, and both of them smoked. One of them would light up in front of me and blow smoke in my face. The other, if I happened to catch him, would hide the cigarette and think that I wouldn't see the smoke curling up behind his back. And I had a lot more respect for the one who blew the smoke in my face because he was no hypocrite about it. He just did it, and that was the way he was. It's important that we be who we are and not try to act something we aren't. Well, Titus finally came, and he had reestablished the fellowship. And Paul had his worries fully allayed, it was foolish for him to worry, but it is also human. What were you worrying about a year ago today? Most of us can't remember, and yet we're prone to worry about things. You remember Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. And that should be the attitude of all of us as believers. Another little bit of poetry, you know that I love poetry. It said, when we see the lilies spinning in distress, taking thought to manufacture their own loveliness, and when we see the birds building barns for store, it will be time to worry and not before. Well, the second thing that brought comfort to Paul was the Corinthians' repentance. Look at verse 7. It said that not only by his coming, Titus' coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Now, there are three words in there that I want you to get. There was an earnest desire on the part of the Corinthians to do God's will. There was 
mourning, meaning they were sorrowing, sorrowful for their sin, and especially that they had grieved the Apostle Paul. And then they had zeal or fervency of mind in the loving acceptance of Paul as God's spokesman. You see, the great part of Paul had been broken. Would they respond to the truth? He had spoken harshly to them. Would that drive them away? Would that make them harden their hearts in sin? Would that make the way too narrow for them to walk in? Would that make their hearts tender? You remember the parable of the sower. It is told in Luke's gospel chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 8, beginning at verse 5. And it says there that some seed fell by the wayside and some on the rocks and some in thorns and some on good ground. And then we have the explanation given in Luke chapter 8. And Jesus said, the ones by the wayside, the seed that falls by the wayside, are those that hear, but Satan immediately distracts them and takes that thought out of their mind. And then there are those, the seeds that fall on the rock. And they sprout but they have no root, and so they die. And then there are the seeds that fall among thorns, and Jesus likened them to those who believe but are choked by the cares of the world so that they don't give time for God. And then there were the seeds, a lot of them, that fell on the good ground, and they were the ones that developed and grew and, and provided the fruit. Do we quit sowing the seed because Satan opposes us? Do we quit sowing the seed because some of our words fall on too shallow a ground? Do we quit sowing because some of the words of God are choked by the business of living? No, we keep on sowing because we're looking for the good ground, the fruit that will proceed. In verse 9, Paul says that he rejoiced and was made happy, not that they sorrowed, but that they sorrowed to repentance. Their ready willingness to respond to the word of God and get things straight with God brought comfort to Paul. He took no pleasure in inflicting pain. Now, I know there are those and even some preachers who sort of get a kick out of sadistic pleasure in seeing someone wince beneath their strong words of declaration, who pride themselves on being candid when they are only being rude, and who pride themselves on being blunt when they're only being boorish. We should never be that way. And then there's a third thing that brought comfort to Paul, and that was the fact that they were comforted. And you have that in verse 13. They were comforted 
And they found out that God was the God of all comfort. And standing fast in their trials, they rejoiced in the Lord. And they were now again looking for that blessed hope of the appearance of the Lord. And the fact that they were satisfied with Jesus made Paul feel that it was all worthwhile. The gospel works. It, is a, it has a practical result. It meets people's needs. If they will respond to it, if they will believe it, it will change their lives. And they became evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in a church. Now there's a third thing that I want us to look at, and that is the circumstances in comfort. Look at verse 5. It says, for when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside and fears within. But God is the next verse. You see, after we'd got this far in the passage, you would suddenly say, Paul the troubled was now... Paul the comforted, great. Everything is smooth sailing from this time on. All the troubles are behind him. No, that's not true. And he tells us again of the troubles that he was feeling. But nevertheless, God provided everything he needed in spite of his fact that his flesh had no rest. In other words, he was living with constant fatigue. In spite of trouble being on every side, and he was constantly frustrated by the troubles, in spite of the fact that without there was fighting among the unbelievers who were trying to to get him to stop preaching, there was constant turmoil around him because people hated the message of God. And in spite of the fact that within there were fears and there was constant uncertainty of what's going to happen next, in spite of all this, he was comforted. He experienced these, but was not conquered by them. By this we mean the fears and troubles were still there, but he was victorious. He said in verse 4 again, I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all of our tribulations. In the middle of the troubles, he found joy in the Lord. The troubles were going on still, but Paul was at peace. He was not bugged by extreme troubles. He accepted the external turmoil and was characterized by an internal peace. And if there's any way that we ought to live, it's that way. Though external things trouble us, and a lot that's going on in our own country troubles me, but we have an internal peace because we are kept by the power of God. And so this shows that Paul's life had been touched by the power of God. You see, the average person governs his inner attitudes by outer circumstances. Their inner peace is as secure 
as their outer circumstances, and that's not very secure in the world in which we live. In this world of contradiction and compromise and trouble, we had better have something solid to stand upon. And Paul talked about that in the fourth chapter, in verse 16. He said, For which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. My soul is renewed day by day. While we look not at the things which are seen, which are troubling, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal and changing, but the things that are not seen are eternal. The bottom line is this. Paul was joyful even in his troubles because they were external and transient and temporary. His peace came from committing his life to Jesus Christ. He did that on the Damascus Road, and he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? He bowed in submission before the Lord Jesus, whom he had been persecuting, and he was forgiven, and he was accepted as a family member in the family of God. He was secure, kept by the power of God, and he was loved in the embrace of a Savior who loves with arms outstretched anyone who will come to him. And the only place of security today for you and for me is to put our faith in Jesus Christ. On a cross, he died for our sins. From a grave, he rose victorious and lives today. And he says, come to me, I'll give you rest. And so you need to come and ask for his forgiveness. It has been provided freely by his grace at the cross of Calvary. You need to come today because he said, who comes I will never cast out and you will be accepted in the family of God if you come to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, you are secure. As Peter says, we are kept by the power of God and you will be beloved in the family of God. Those whom he saves, he loves and keeps forever. And God can do that for you, even as he did it for Paul the Apostle. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for this passage that tells us of how the Apostle Paul was comforted because he was kept by the power of God. And I pray today that you will help us to, who believe to recognize that we are kept by that same power of God, that we need not fear what happens around us because internally we are in touch with you by your saving grace. Help us to be strong in the Lord and walk in the power of his might in a world that is turning upside down. 
I pray for those who have come to this service who may never have trusted in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. May they today be guided by the Holy Spirit to seek his forgiveness, to seek his acceptance, to seek his security, and to seek the love that never fails. And so may there be those who would respond as the invitation is given today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation before the Lord's Supper. And if you've come today and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ and you do not have the security of knowing for sure that you belong to him, I invite you to come today and openly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord. If you've been visiting with us and desire to become a part of our church family, the doors of the church are open, and I invite you to step forward while we sing, and we'll be delighted to have you as part of this family of God. Let's stand together.